This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. After Haiti's president was assassinated on July 7th, we heard a lot about the deepening spiral of turmoil and violence there. For comment, we turn, of course, to Amy Willens. She spent three decades reporting on Haiti, and she's written two books about Haiti, most recently the award-winning Farewell Fred Voodoo. Her writing about Haiti has appeared recently in the New York Times, the LA Times, she's been on NPR, and of course, in The Nation, where she's a longtime contributing editor. She's also a Guggenheim Fellow, and she teaches literary journalism at UC Irvine. Hi, Amy. Hi, John. Well, I always start our conversations about Haiti with a reminder about why we care. Haiti is not just another terribly poor country where terrible things happen. Haiti's history is a crucial part of our history. Remind us, please. We had our revolution against the European powers in 1776. Then the French had their revolution across the water. Then the Haitian slaves rose up in revolt against the masters on the island in 1791 and actually uh, won their freedom from France in 1804 in an incredible earth-shaking revolt that shocked the world of the slave-owning economies across the globe, especially the United States, some 700 miles from Haiti, was quite horrified by this and didn't recognize Haiti for another 60 years. And beyond that, of course, we intervened in Haiti later on from 1915 to 1934 with a Marine occupation after the previous assassination of a Haitian president in 1915. And uh, we um, have continued to sort of uh, mix in with Haiti's politics to to approve of coups, to support dictators, to take out uh, democratically elected presidents. And then uh, here we are not knowing what to do really in the wake of the assassination of Jovenel Moise. So Haiti, the only successful slave revolt in modern history, establishing the world's first black republic. Before we get to the assassination and its aftermath, let's talk about what life is like right now for the Haitian people. In the aftermath of this killing, there's no real president. There's So that's a, that's a very weird feeling for Haitians. Usually you may not like the president, but there's a president. This president was was pretty much universally not liked. And that's the nicest thing you can say. He was almost universally really disliked. And uh, that's not only because of his bad personality, his utter negligence of the the nation, his his encouragement of violence, but also because of his corruption and the way it seemed that he was encouraging what's known as the business mafia in Haiti to take controls of and really have a stranglehold over the entire Haitian economy, uh, which they were using to enrich themselves, which they've been doing for a long time. Moise isn't the only one to allow this. It's hard to not allow it because these people are so powerful. And what does that mean for the daily life of ordinary people in Haiti? Well, it's not that different today after the death of Moise uh, than it was before. People are poor. The cost of living is way too high. Uh, There are gasoline shortages. There are blackouts almost daily, probably every day now. 
transportation is prohibitively expensive. You don't have clean water. There's a threat of cholera. COVID is spiking there, finally. So it hasn't been that bad, but it's bad again. And there are no vaccines available in the country. The government never managed to figure out anything to do with vaccines, although vaccines were offered to them. Another example of Moise's intolerable and morally repugnant neglect of his people. You know, kids can't go to school. Of course, it's summer now, so that's better. But they can't go to school when there's school because there's too much violence in the streets. And that's been the biggest problem for the everyday Haitian and for every Haitian um, in the past three years of Moise's rule. There are gangs running the streets, gangs having uh, turf wars, gangs controlled by one faction or another, including the government. They're heavily armed. They have lots of nice vehicles and they dash around town kidnapping uh, what I think of as Haiti's future, the Haitian, small Haitian middle class that has a little money and can respond to a kidnapping with their relatives at, abroad in the United States or Canada or France. A lot of the American coverage for the last week has been about who done it. Was it the Colombians? What about those three Americans who've been arrested? And how come none of the bodyguards were injured in the assassination of the president? Were the bodyguards in on the plot? The Haitian police have identified and picked up 17 people they say were part of the assassination team. That's fast work. Are you impressed? I'm so impressed. <laughs> the Haitian police in the past three years, four years, five years of the Moise administration has not arrested and tried a single suspect in all of these kidnappings, rapes, and murders that take place every day on the streets of Haiti, including of uh, foreigners, Haitian visitors from the United States. They just haven't done their job at all. Uh, the one time they went in to try and do anything, they went into a bastion of the gangs, ostensibly, to wipe out the gang in that place and take them out. And the gang in the shantytown took over their tank, their armored car that they drove in, burned the vehicle, killed five guys. That's how well the police have done. So when the police, faced with an assassination of a president by a highly armed commando unit from abroad, manages to uh, bring him in like little sheep, tie him up and stick him in jail, I'm very, very concerned because I think it's a big lie. It is uh, the only good job the Haitian police have done in a long time, leading me to believe that not only was uh, some powerful person involved in the killing of the president, but that powerful person or group of people is involved with the police who know fully well who are the intellectual authors of this killing, and they know that they're not the Colombian mercenaries they have in, in hand. Of course, everybody's trying to figure out what comes next. And my question is about the grassroots groups, the progressive groups, the civil society organizations that you wrote about in The Nation. Tell us about them. Those groups who are right now, in my opinion, the heroes of Haiti and very, very brave. They're out there. They're putting their names out there. And just before the killing of Moïse, a woman named Antoinette Duclair, about whom I've written a little bit, and her friend, uh, a journalist named Diego Charles, were assassinated like eight days before the mm -hmm. president on a street at night in, in Port-au-Prince, point blank, really, basically. And this sent a, a tremor into the uh, 
parts of the people who support progressive movements because Antoinette, who is known as Nettie, was very well known, very outspoken, extremely charismatic, obviously a future leader of the country, right? And then the president is dead. Now, what does that say to the grassroots groups, the civil society groups, people in the opposition, political opposition to the president? Well, that says not only could we kill Nettie, but we could kill the president. And if you raise your little heads above the line of fire, you too are vulnerable. Everyone is vulnerable. We killed the president. We killed a future president, if you want to look at Nettie that way, which I do. And you could go too. So don't don't mix in the next debate that's coming up. They have. For these grassroots groups, what, what are their priorities? Is finding the assassins their number one issue? Well, we need to know not that we ever will, who who are the intellectual authors of this assassination, because it speaks to what the future holds. That said, no, their prime interest is not, you know, and, and, and the former prime minister who's now declared himself head of state and who speaks to the media constantly has said our prime goal now after the assassination is to find the assassin. No, that's not my prime goal. That's not Haiti's prime goal. The prime goal for Haitians is to find a way forward for Haiti. And to find that way forward for Haiti is obviously, it's it's not a clear path. There are several actors in, in this road. One is the people who are holding the reins of power right now. So that's Moise's fired prime minister, who's now declared himself the acting prime minister. He was fired the day before Moise was killed. The intellectual author of the crime, that's another person or or group that is in the way of the future, or at least meddling in the future of the country. The international community, most importantly, the Americans were just down there yesterday uh, talking to the three, as I call them, the three comedians who have put themselves forward <laughs> as the acting president of Haiti. And then all the grassroots organizations, all the progressive people, all the civil society groups, and all of the opposition politicians uh, who would like to move forward with something new for Haiti. Now, this is a fractious group too. It's not an easy group to control. It's a bit of herding cats, but these are people who almost all have something good to contribute to a, a future Haiti. The Pentagon press secretary, a man named John Kirby, told Chris Wallace on Fox News a couple of days ago, quote, we value our Haitian partners, close quote. We value our Haitian partners. Never, <laughs> never has a government issued so many empty statements about a subject as the uh, United States government about this moment in Haiti. <laughs> we value our Haiti partners. What does value mean? Who knows? <laughs> we would like to boss them around. Our Haiti partners. What does that mean? The Americans' Haiti partners in the past, the people who brought you Jovenel Moise, and his predecessor, Michel Martelly, those Haiti partners are the business mafia, which are the people who've been talking to American presidents and the State Department since the coups against Jean-Bertrand Aristide in the 90s and then again in 2004. So there were two coups against this, the first democratically elected president of Haiti, who is seen widely as a progressive, who tried to do good for the Haitian people, hence his ouster. And the people who didn't like him, feared him, and worried about chaos under his rule, 
were these same business mafia. You know, it's a lot of people, it's a shifting group of people, but it's people who basically have the stranglehold over the Haitian economy and uh, are, are lining their pockets with money that ought to be going towards social programs and the Haitian nation. Those are the Haitian partners of the past. And, and we if, value them. And we value them. And if you sort of scratch the surface of the Pentagon view here, you learn that the United States does have what it considers a security interest in Haiti, which is preventing Haitians from coming to the United States because things are so terrible there. Is there a secondary uh, interest as well? Yeah, we don't want Haitians coming here because because um, they're such good citizens when they get here, because they become part of the economy here, because they educate themselves and do a great job. Or maybe it's just because they're black. <laughs> so anyway, we don't want Haitians here. That's true. Um, is there another reason why the United States worries about Haiti? They want stability in Haiti. But the kind of stability they encourage in Haiti is not stability that anyone would call stability. And the reason Haitians aren't coming to the United States is because they can't figure out how to get in. But they, in fact, they are coming to the United States. They're not coming to Florida, a state that the Democrats worry about a whole heck of a lot. They are coming through Brazil, through flights to Brazil, no longer boat people, but plane people, through Brazil. And they sometimes stay in Latin America and otherwise they come up through Latin America, cross Darien to the western border of the United States and Mexico. So that's the way that Haitians had been coming in during the Moise regime. And the Moise didn't want them to go by boat, whatever they did. They didn't want them disturbing the Americans. Now they're in internment camps in, you know, El Paso or some such place. The Biden administration says the solution to all of this is elections. It's certainly better for Haitians to pick their own government than for the United States to install one. But is it possible to imagine free and fair elections in Haiti today conducted in an atmosphere without fear? There will be no elections conducted under anyone who is seen by the population as a Moise spinoff. None of these men who have presented themselves can possibly lead Haiti to free and fair elections by the end of the summer or by the end of the year. I believe that even what should happen, a consensus interim government of elements from the opposition parties and the progressive uh, civil society groups and grassroots movements won't be able to hold free and fair elections by the end of this year. We don't want Haiti to be forced to have elections that aren't meaningful. Undemocratic elections are what has harmed Haiti since really the, the earthquake and, and other times earlier. But certainly since the earthquake, we've had only undemocratic elections in which the international community has given a, a kind of stamp of approval to people who represent this business class. And it has not done done any good for the Haitian people. They're in, I mean, I know I was there at the end of 2019. Already, it was far worse than I've ever seen it. The poverty of the people, the uh, inequality, income inequality, which obviously everyone can tell is bad in Haiti, was worse than ever. You could see that the place couldn't move forward under this regime. And now, well, now the head of the regime has been removed, but 
what will follow it? That's the question. No more undemocratic elections for Haiti. Amy Willens, she wrote about what's next for Haiti for The Nation. You can read her at thenation.com. Thank you, Amy. This was great. Thanks a lot, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.